Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love, and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, now about nine years ago, maybe eight, my math's not too good, a small group of people, about 12 or 15 to be, to be closer or more exact, gathered in our home on a Sunday evening to study and share in fellowship. It was after I had left my position at the Cathedral of Hope and, and we wanted to kind of still be together so we'd meet on Sunday evenings and we'd have potlucks and we'd study and talk and then one day a few weeks after we had been meeting a few people began to ask about becoming a church and I said no. <laughs> we are not doing that. <laughs> So we worshiped again, and then, I mean, we studied again and had our fellowship, and then some other people said, we need a church. I said, no, we are not doing that. You have no idea how hard that is. That's the hardest kind of church work in the world. We are not doing that. Amen. And, then, <laughs> and then a third time, some people said, okay, that's it. We have to have a church. So on Pentecost Sunday, May 19th, 2013, in our home with about 12 people there, we had our first worship service. I can't believe I let them talk me into that. <laughs> we gathered to sing and to pray and to hear the word read and proclaim, to share in Holy Communion and to share in the peace and the fellowship of our community. Amen. Now, mind you, we didn't have any wind howling. We didn't have any flames. Though we did have English and Spanish because Father Alejandro de la Torre was present and the Holy Spirit was there too. She was abundantly evident and a church was born. Now on the first Pentecost, the writer of the Acts of the Apostle tells us of all the mystical signs of the presence of God. It began by telling us that they were all in one place. So there's our model, that we are all in one place here, even for those of us online. We are all in one place. We are the community that has been gathered by the Spirit to be together. And then there came the rush of a mighty wind filling the house in which they were sitting. The very breath of God, the Spirit, came as a fierce and permeating wind. Suddenly, divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. And the people listening to this story for the first time surely remembered that Moses, the great lawgiver, had learned from God through a voice in which a, a bush was burning with fire and yet was not consumed, heard his call to lead the people. And then they must have surely understood that there was a pillar of fire that led them through the desert into new life. Here in this story, the Spirit, the tongues of fire, bestows on each individual the gifts of the Spirit. Everything else had been community, but now individual people were being 
filled with the Spirit of God. Theologian Frederick Buechner has written that in the pages of Scripture, fire is holiness, and perhaps never more hauntingly than in the little charcoal fire that Jesus of Nazareth, newly risen from the dead, kindles for cooking his friend's breakfast on the beach at daybreak. And from that consuming, cleansing, creating fire, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody from all over the known world at the time. And they began to speak in their own languages, and yet they could understand each other. And the curse of Babel was overturned and reversed. The curse of the pride of Babel, of trying to be gods and build a building up to the heavens. And then they found they couldn't talk to each other in that hierarchy of structure. They couldn't understand each other. But in this story, suddenly, the egalitarian invitation of Jesus to the table is played out again as everybody can understand each other. All people, all people. And of course, it's an intriguing and powerful story. And there are lessons for us, postmodern, culturally different, 2,000 plus years later, for us to learn from this ancient story. Preaching professor and theologian David Lowe's has offered this two things that we need to learn from this story about the Holy Spirit. And the first is that the Holy Spirit does not come to, come to solve our problems, but to create them. Now, you know this. You know this. Think about it. Absent the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus could have avoided the desert wilderness. The disciples could go back to their previous careers as fishermen and tax collectors. Jesus' followers, following the gift of the Holy Spirit, are now driven throughout the ancient world to share the unlikely message that God has redeemed the world through an itinerant preacher from the know-nothing backwards area of Palestine who was executed for treason and blasphemy. Could there be an odder story than that that they were invited and driven into the world to proclaim? Notice, the Holy Spirit does not solve our problems. She seems to create them. The New York Times opinion columnist David Brooks, speaking at a commencement challenged new college graduate to reject the American obsession with self-fulfillment. Instead, he encouraged them to find themselves in service to others by making and keeping what he described as sacred commitments and by rising to the challenges they would discover all around and outside of them. He said, most successful young people don't look inside and then plan a life. They look outside and find a problem which summons their life. Most people don't form a self and then lead a life. They are called by a problem, and the self is constructed gradually by their calling. And that's the same thing that happens in a community of faith, right? Our church cannot discover who we are until we give ourselves away. No amount of time spent on developing a mission statement, balancing the checkbook, Devising new member campaigns can substitute for looking around our neighborhoods and asking, who needs us? 
What can we do with our resources to bear God's love out into our part of the world? And the second thing Loos suggests is the Holy Spirit doesn't prevent failure, but invites it. Or simply, the Holy Spirit invites us to find meaning in and through our setbacks. Years ago, I remember hearing a friend of mine talk about, she was, a, she was like an outdoors woman, man. She could do it, I mean, you know, everything outdoors. Camping, fishing, hiking, swimming, canoeing, all of it. And she told me about being at the Grand Canyon and, and hiking down into the canyon, which is no small thing, and then hiking back out. And she said, you know, uh, you hike and you hike and you hike as you're trying to get out of it, and, and you, you just can't seem to get anywhere. She said, they, they do it, what they call switchbacks. So you go back and forth and back and forth to get out of the canyon. And it's only when you look back that you see how far you have come. And that's our lives, isn't it? And that's the truth of our lives and of the church and of everything. Failure is not only an option, but is also inevitable. The challenges we face and as individuals and congregations are far too complex to imagine that we will hit it right on the nail on the head with the best solution every time. So we try things, and especially in the church we try things. We look at the challenges before us and we ask ourselves, well, uh, how can we meet this challenge? We will have to try and try again and perhaps it will be successful or perhaps we'll have to pull back and say, oh, we gotta do that again. Or perhaps we'll do something really successfully for a while and then it goes away. And we have to try something new. That is the work of the Holy Spirit with us. Moreover, living in a success or a, a success-obsessed world can lead us to forget that ultimately it's really not about us. It's really not about us at all. God is the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of this cosmos, and God brings the kind of redemption we long for and need. Our job is to partner with God and do the ministry we are called to do as we are called to do it. Los writes this, if the cross teaches us nothing else, it teaches that success will not always look like success, and victory may often come disguised as defeat. Our role is not to be successful, it's to be faithful. Or as philosopher, who, a philosopher who focuses on race and gender and class has said, Cornell West, sure it's failure, but was it a good failure? That's what we ask ourselves. And this view gives us a measure of freedom to join lost causes, to stand on the side of the oppressed and the vulnerable, and to take great risks and to dream great dreams. Suddenly on that day so long ago, the wind blew and the fire came. And that wind and fire consumed division and bigotry and selfishness and injustice. And all the people, in all the languages, with all kinds of traditions, began to speak of God. And the breath of God blew freely and wildly, filling their lungs and giving them courage and strength that they didn't even know they had. 
And the body of Christ the church was born and began to move. But get this, get this. While it is a meaningful story and a powerful story, we cannot leave it in the past. God's spirit is here, still at work today, in your life and in mine, in the Holy Spirit, the breath of God is at work here and now, right here and now in the new church, Chiesa Nuova United Church of Christ. Through scripture and prayers, music and proclamation, experience and relationships, God's holy breath is breathed into us, challenging us, comforting us, clarifying things for us, perhaps scaring us. The story of Pentecost tells us if we are open to breathing in, if we dare to pray, come Holy Spirit, we will find our lives filled with a courage, a reserve, a strength, a passion, a faith we never knew we had. There's restorative power of the Holy Spirit when we allow ourselves to breathe deeply of her presence. On this Pentecost Sunday, as we move into the season of Pentecost, I want to ask you, when do you remember the coming of the Spirit to you or to the church? When do you remember? And I lost my next page. Oh, there it is. <clears throat> how did her presence deepen your understanding of yourself or the church or how God desires to breathe through you? And how do you continue to open yourself to the Spirit? Well, I'm going to tell you, when I saw the Spirit move recently, it was Palm Sunday, and we were welcoming new covenant members into the life and ministry of our church, and lo and behold, six people, count them, six people, got up and stood up here and reaffirmed their baptisms and made covenant with us. Do you understand? We are a tiny, tiny little church. We are a tiny, tiny, and yet six people wanted to say, God is stirring in my life, and I want to be with you. And then today, three more people, one with a baby and a service dog, come and be a part of us. Can you feel the Spirit moving in this church? Do you know that the Spirit is calling us? And today... Online, We have people from West Virginia and Oklahoma and Dallas and Houston and Granbury and Oregon and Idaho and Virginia and Utah. You are part of our faith community and strengthen us. So on the first day of Pentecost, the followers of Jesus were not extraordinary people. They were foolish and all too ordinary. But they were people whom God chose to call as witnesses to the resurrection and they changed the world forever you see we are them and they are us Amen. we are the new church Chiesa Nuova United Church of Christ we are the church alive Amen. do you feel the fire can you hear the wind 